Hello, progressives, right-wing stealth listeners, and the merely curious. This is Howard, coming to you from beautiful downtown Minneapolis, Minnesota. For those of you who don't know me, and uh, that would be most of you, I'm a storyteller, performance artist, and board member of Patrick's Cabaret, the Twin Cities' most dynamic performance venue. Since the mid-80s, Patrick's has been welcoming performers of all ages and levels of experience, and in particular has been home to artists of color, GLBT queer-identified artists, and artists with disabilities, and is the Twin Cities' only performance venue that returns 100% of ticket sales directly to the artist. For more information, go to patrickscabaret.org. Now for the real commercial stuff. This program is made possible by supporters just like me, and this particular episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code LEFT. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from the Tom Hartman program, The Young Turks, The David Pakman Show, and Moyers and Company. And a quick programming note. Today's topic, money and politics, sounds like a rather depressing topic. I mean, really, in this greed is good and billionaires are God's country in which I live and many of you live, the good old U.S. of A., money usually gets what money wants. However, Jay wants me to assure you that as intractable as this maxim seems to be, there are many roads to victory. The show ends on a hopeful note, so stay tuned. There is this, I was going to say mythology, but that really is you know, implicitly a pejorative. Uh, it implies a criticism. Um, so let's say there's a belief system. I, I think that's more a neutral term. On the right, on the, on the far right, that we the people are sovereign over our government, not just through the electoral process, not by virtue of electing representatives, but just purely sovereign. And that states, because of the Tenth Amendment, should have the power and the right to ignore the federal government, and that individuals, when it comes to certain things should be able to ignore the law. Now, women should not be able to ignore the law if the law says that they can't have an abortion in the universe of these folks. And an abortion clinic that wants to operate outside of newly passed laws that make it very difficult for it to operate, in their opinion, must adhere to the law. But a white rancher... You know, a guy who wears jeans and rides a horse, white guy who wears jeans and rides a horse out west, he should be able to defy the law because freedom. Now, there is a, a kernel inside all of this that Sheriff Mack shared with us today where I think there might be a point that the Tea Party and progressives could agree on. Now, the, unfortunately, the solution that the, that, the, that the guys on the right, the militia movement, the Tea Partiers, have seized upon, uh, which has been fed to them by and large by Fox News, by the you know, billionaire Rupert Murdoch, 
and by the Americans for Prosperity, the billionaire Koch brothers. Unfortunately, the line that they've been fed is take down the federal government. Don't, don't let it regulate things. Don't let it control things. And, of course, there's an interest in this. Rupert Murdoch would like to have as many radio, TV stations, and newspapers in the world as he can. He would like to be unregulated. And the Koch brothers and other billionaires of their ilk, but they're the prince, you know, large funders of Americans for Prosperity, would love to have, you know, unrestrained access to federal lands for drilling or uranium mining or whatever it may be. If, I, Georgia Pacific is one of their biggest companies, paper products. There's a lot of timber on federal land. And if they could just get that, if they could just take that timber and turn it into toilet paper, the way that the Bundy family is taking the grassland and turning it into beef and not pay any fee on it, they'd be a lot richer. But that, that narrative is not being told on Fox News or in right-wing talk radio. But the narrative that, that, that I think we, we, can share to a certain point is the one that Sheriff Mack laid down two and a half hours ago, two two hours and 20 minutes ago on this program when he said this. Voting has not worked. Washington, D.C. is bought and paid for by corporate interests. They vote according to the people who donate most to them, and they make laws that uh, come from, donation, from donors, not from uh, people. Force these laws that are completely and directly associated with corporate interests are are still against the Constitution. This whole thing has been the, the entire Constitution has been turned on its head by these corrupt public officials in Washington D.C. Okay, we can stop right there. And I agree with that statement. Now he went from there to Obamacare as an example of how the corrupt public officials and and actually you know. You could build a case that the fact that there's no public option in Obamacare and then it's hard for states to do single-payer health care and that the for-profit health insurance company stocks have just been steadily going up for the last three years as a result of Obamacare. You could build a case that even Obamacare is an example of the corruption of political processes in Washington, D.C. by corporate interests. Not the same corporate interest necessarily that I'm guessing Sheriff Mack would say, although maybe it is. Maybe he, you know, I mean, there is a, a growing meme on the right. They're appropriating the left's meme. You know, the left used to say Obamacare is just a welfare program for the, for the health insurance industry and the pharmaceutical industry. And now, now that Obamacare is succeeding and people are liking it, the meme on the right is, hey, it's just a welfare program for the insurance companies and the health insurance industry, or the uh, health, the uh, pharmaceutical industry. To a certain extent, it's true. It's like the only way you can get legislation passed, even legislation that keeps people from dying like Obamacare, is by throwing a very large bone to very wealthy individuals and very large, powerful corporate interests. It's true. Sheriff Mack is right. Now, does that make it right that a family out in Nevada should be able to freeload off the federal government? Does that mean that that you know I, that we ought to be able to occupy federal land and just start growing vegetables or or whatever we'd like? No. But is there a rot at the core of American democracy? Is there a problem? Yeah. Paul Krugman just pointed there's four point something trillion dollars that rich people have stashed offshore to avoid paying taxes. Corporate profits in America right now are at a historic high. 
Corporate taxes paid in the United States are at a historic low. Rich people are taking home more, you know, they, all, since 2008, all, we've added $34 trillion in wealth in the United States. And all of it has gone to the top, either 7 or 9% of Americans. All of it. When Ronald Reagan came to office, the largest employer in this country was General Motors, and in today's dollars, they paid an average of $50 an hour to their workers who could get go to work for them with a high school diploma. Today, the largest employer in the United States, and today General Motors is starting people out at fourteen fifty an hour, and the largest employer in the United States is no longer GM. It's now Walmart, and Walmart is paying about $10 an hour. So working people in America, he used to knowing that they used to make 50 bucks an hour and they used to be able to afford a home and to buy a new car every couple of years and take a vacation, and now they're, they're lucky if they're renting and their kids are living with them and they're maxed out on their credit cards and, and they're just they're plain old flat out wiped out and their kids are a trillion dollars in debt for, for college that, that their parents never had to pay for even. Or if they did pay for it, they could pay for it with a summer job. Now people know they're screwed. I was thinking the other day, over the weekend, about some of the problems that we have in this country. We have a huge income inequality problem. We have religion trying to invade the law in spite of what the Constitution says. We have wars and the military-industrial complex and the manufactured consent for war through the corporate media. People angry about low wages, and understandably so. Money has completely corrupted our political system. We really should have, when we look at what's going on in Ukraine and Venezuela, we should have millions and millions of Americans out on the streets protesting, but you really don't. We saw a flare-up of protesting around Occupy, but in general, uh, you can't really blame people in some sense, right? If you have a job, the fear of losing it, no matter how bad the job is, keeps a lot of people from acting out, whether it's for fear of arrest or for fear of getting fired, or just for missing work in order to go to the protests. And with more and more people out of work than at many other times in history, those who have jobs certainly don't want to give them up, for the most part, to go protest. So then we say, well, what about students? Why aren't students protesting? Well, yes, students do protest more, but they have, uh, in spite of having less financial risk and more free time to do the protesting, they also realize the job situation. They also realize how increasingly more and more of what you do could find its way onto the desk of a potential employer. So considering that, plus the incredible rise in student debt over recent years, students aren't going to be that open to really protesting either. And then we have all the people who just aren't paying attention to what's going on or are cynical and don't think their protests could change anything. So we have a situation that completely buys in to what elected officials and big corporations want. Nobody wants you to be an activist, to be a protester. Everybody who you would want to protest has an interest in pacifying you and in keeping you nice and calm, 
taking out your student loans, buying your products, etc. Reform, thinking of, uh, well, let's see, I'll write a letter to my member of Congress and try to get them to change a law on student loan forgiveness. That has way more uh, palatability for most individuals than real revolution-type protests like we're seeing. I don't blame anybody for it. I'm busy earning a living and doing my show. I'm also not out on the streets protesting. But it is interesting how this is exactly what those in power want. It's easy for us to understand the power of the Internet these days, and many will even recall that not too long ago, some experts were saying that kids learning to write computer code was going to be as important as learning to write in English. Well, writing code certainly is valuable to a point, but what many of those experts didn't see coming was companies like Squarespace that have developed to bridge that gap for the rest of us. Now, we all understand the importance of the Internet and can even see how the difference between success and failure can sometimes depend on our ability to make the best use of the Internet, and yet the vast majority of us can't write code. Well, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that allows you to create your own professional websites or online portfolios in just minutes. It's now easier than ever to tap into the power of the web and give that project in your life the kickstart it needs with a fully customizable website that you can build yourself without writing a single line of code. Check out their free trial for 14 days. Then, when you're ready to sign up, be sure to use the special offer code LEFT. That's just L-E-F-T and that gets you 10% off your purchase. And that code also lets them know that you're supporting this show at the same time. It's the all-in-one platform. Makes it fast and easy to create. You can start with 20 highly customizable templates to make your own professional website or online portfolio. Industry-leading support at just $8 a month. Whoa. You know the drill, you know where. It's barely spring, and already the spending for this year's midterm elections is three times higher than it was on the very day the Supreme Court issued the Citizens United decision back in 2010. That one fired the starting gun that set off the mad dash for campaign cash. Look at this headline. Billionaires use super PACs to advance pet causes. And this. Federal super PACs spend big on local elections. Right. Unlimited and secret cash is no longer just for the White House or congressional races. It's even being thrown at state and municipal races right down to county sheriff and school board. I could go on, but don't take my word for it. Listen instead to two of the best journalists covering the world of money and politics. Kim Barker reports for the independent nonprofit news organization ProPublica. She specializes in dark money from those so-called social welfare groups that keep the identity of their donors secret. Andy Crow works in the Washington Bureau of Mother Jones magazine. He's a muckraking journalist whose exposés have opened eyes to campaign finance corruption as well as malfeasance in Congress and in the banking business. Welcome to both of you. Thanks nice for having us. Both of you have talked about, covered and talked about dark money. Exactly. Mm -hmm. For the benefit of my viewers, what is dark money? 
Now, dark money, these are organizations that can take unlimited amounts of money from billionaires or corporations or unions or anybody and then turn around and spend money on political ads without saying who their donors are. They don't have to tell who the money came from. They do have to say what it's being spent on and, and, and where it's going, but they don't have to say who the donors are. Yeah, where does all this money go? I mean, it seems to me, to be frank, it sometimes sounds like a racket. You know, the, lots of money raised, it goes to the campaign managers, it goes to the strategists, it goes to the television stations, and you really wonder if so much of it isn't taken off along the way. Profit margin and all of that. It, it's absolutely a self-enrichment process for the consultants and the ad makers, you know, the, the madmen of American politics and all the different players, the, the political professionals in this process. I mean, one aspect of all of this dark money sloshing around in our politics, um, as Kim and I have written about a lot, is that it, you know, these, these folks on the left and the right pass money around between different organizations. You know, Americans for a Better Tomorrow passes it to Americans for Better Leadership, passes it to Americans for a Better Leadership and a Better Tomorrow. And all along the way, someone is taking a cut. A consultant has to be attached to these organizations as this dark money moves around, and people are getting rich off of that. What's all this money doing to us? I would argue that if you're wondering why your government is so broke and you can't really get anything passed through Congress, campaign finance has a lot to do with that. I think it, it means that a candidate for office has to wake up in the morning and not just worry about what his or her opponent is doing. They have to worry about what his or her, her opponent's outside money group is doing and what their own, own outside money group is doing. So you have this sense that as soon as you get into office, you have to start raising money for the next election. It means you can't take a stand on an issue that might prove unpopular. It means that you have to set, go hand in hand with what your party thinks. It just sort of means that we're going to get more of the same, more of this gridlock, which benefits a lot of these same billionaires that are putting money into the system in the first place. Political science has shown us that members of Congress are already far more receptive to the interests and the ideas and the whims of the very wealthy in this country, sort of receptive to the middle class, and basically could not care less about what poor and working people think or want in terms of policy making. Add super PACs into the mix, add dark, add dark money groups into the mix, when really it's just one donor in your district who can make or break you. Is that why you've been spending a lot of time in, at the local and state level covering big money? Absolutely. I, I think it's, I mean, I love covering it at the local and state level because it's like taking a magnifying glass to these issues. What happens at the state level when you have empowered millionaires and billionaires and, and how that influence is even stronger now and, it, and the money goes a lot farther in the state at the state level than it does in Congress. You did that story on the DeVos family in, 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 in Michigan. In a capsule, can you tell us what that was about? I'm from Michigan. The DeVos family, co-founders of Amway, uh, the multi-level marketing company, big-time Republicans, long-time members of the Coke network, the donor network. And so in 2012, Michigan does the unthinkable and passes a right-to-work law. The cradle of organized labor is now a right-to-work state. But they didn't call it that. They call it freedom to work, right? That was the spin, exactly. Dick DeVos, the heir to the Amway fortune, had a role in this. I figured out that this had been a multi-year effort. It, it, there, were, there was fundraising. There was electing Republican candidates, essentially helping to engineer a complete Republican takeover in Michigan in 2010. 
the State House, State Senate, and the Governor's Mansion all were occupied by Republicans. And then a lot of, in this case, dark money through a group, um, uh, you know, another freedom, Mich the Michigan Freedom Fund. Um, essentially, in the lame duck session 2012, after the elections, put a blitz on and blanketed the airwaves, lobbied lawmakers really hard, you know, twisted arms when they need to, broke a few as well. Um, and just applied a massive amount of influence and did the unthinkable. And I, it still boggles my mind to think about it, but it was, a, it was an incredible illustration of what one or two really motivated wealthy donors can do. ProPublica just published your latest big story on the Koch brothers. What's new there? We basically took a, lo a look at the network of 12 groups um, that we could identify from the, from the Koch brothers' network in 2012 that were active in trying to push conservative causes and spent more than $383 million um, that particular year. Uh, and and we, we tried to show what was going on with these LLCs that we figured out were involved with these 12 nonprofits. LLC? What is that? Limited Liability Company. Oh, yeah. Um, so we just wrote about how the, these have been playing behind the scenes in the Koch brothers network. But I think what you're going to see much more this year is, you know, person X is going to go to Delaware. They're going to have a lawyer form an LLC, and it doesn't have to say who's actually behind it. It just has to be LLC, let's call it Sunny, Sunny Day LLC. And then you're going to have this LLC start spending money on politics. They're going to tell the FEC. Federal Election Commission. Yeah. Well, politics isn't our main thing that we're doing. We do all these other things. We make money. We do all these other things. So they won't have to report their donors, and they won't have to deal with the IRS saying, you're not a social welfare nonprofit. The only thing that they'll have to worry about is they'll have to actually pay some taxes that they don't have to pay right now as a social welfare nonprofit. Why do they go to such lengths to keep secret where the money's coming from, where it's going, what's it doing? Why not? Why not just say this is what we're doing? It's bad publicity. Yeah. Look what happened to Target, you know? Yeah. Target is a great example. That, and that was actually sort of the, the shot heard round corporate America. Tell me that story. Tar Target gave money to an organization in Minnesota that ended up advocating against marriage equality. And then or the... Or a candidate. A, a, yeah. Right, right. Against this issue. And you had the LGBT community, um, marriage equality advocates go ballistic, especially because Target had always portrayed itself as a sort of forward-thinking, hip, uh, progressive even organization. And yet their money ended up supporting someone who was against gay marriage, and, and that yeah. scared a lot of that people. That was the canary in the coal mine. They don't, they, nobody wants that to happen again. So it, are you suggesting, is it feasible that the Koch brothers or anybody is putting, or putting all this money into this labyrinth because they would be ashamed or hurt publicly if people knew what that money was doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, th and I think in a few rare cases, we have seen IRS forms sort of accidentally mm -hmm. released that include the list of donors. And it's been sort of a who's who of, of Fortune 500, Fortune 500 yeah. corporations. I mean, there was, a, there was a, 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 a tax filing from the early 2000s for the group Americans for Prosperity, which is founded and funded by Charles and David Koch, and it had a whole roster of major corporations, name brand corporations, and they give to these organizations specifically so that they don't have their name out in the public and they can sort of quietly push you know, this issue or that issue. 
but not have their, their, their brand out there, and they want to have their cake and eat it too. So that would explain why when the Supreme Court's decision in Citizens United said transparency, disclosure, will right. be the cleansing agent here, Mitch McConnell and others in Congress made sure the disclosure bill that would implement that transparency didn't pass. The Disclose Act. Yeah, yeah. And you, you really saw, I think that the, either the Supreme Court was naive um, about how campaign finance really works or um, maybe just prescient. Maybe they knew what was going to happen. But the, their whole idea of using disclosure as some sort of cleansing mechanism and, and, and the Internet as a way for people to figure out what was actually going on, naive, you know? I mean, I think Andy and I can spend months on a story um, and, and you still get to the end of it, and I can say, I know someone's controlling this network from behind the scenes, but I can't tell you who it is. So Eric Cantor goes down to uh, little-known Dave Brown. He's a, a professor in a small college in Virginia, and the House Majority Leader is gone. Uh, why is that? Well, let me show you some general numbers that begins to show you how disliked the establishment is on both sides. Congressional approval right now is at 12%. 80% disapprove of Congress, only 12% approve. Those are, of course, miserable numbers. That's in a CBS News poll. 5% think most members of Congress have done a good enough job to deserve re-election. Uh, do I have to tell you how low 5% is? I mean, isn't that an amazing number? When we went to war uh, with Great Britain uh, to get our independence, about a third of the country was on the side of staying with the monarchy. A third was undecided. Only 5% think that our Congress is doing a good job. That isn't the fault of democracy. That's because we've taken democracy away. People get it. We don't run the country. The donors run the country. Look at the numbers getting worse and worse as the years move on. So if you look at the right-hand side of this chart, in 1998, um, good enough to uh, deserve re-election was at 24%. So we were already in miserable shape. Then it slipped down to 16%, then 12%, then 8%, and now we're down to 5% say that most members of Congress deserve re-election. Okay, now, you always used to see these numbers as I was growing up, and then they, the really savvy pundits on television would tell you, oh, no, no, it's okay. They think that about uh, generic members of Congress, their own member of Congress they love. Not so much anymore. 29% think their own House member deserves re-election. 62% think it's time for someone new. So, no, it no longer applies to their own... Uh, member of Congress, they don't like them either. Just ask Eric Cantor how that worked out for him. By the way, what's the real issue? What's the real problem here? It's obvious when you look at the bottom line of the study, they say that not only do uh, a great majority of Americans want to get money out of politics, when you ask them about specific solutions, which are harder to rally people around, 71% say that individual contributions to political campaigns should be limited. 76% say spending by outside groups 
whether it's Bloomberg or the Koch brothers or Soros or Chamber of Commerce, they should be limited. 76%, over three quarters of Americans say, stop letting these outside groups buy our politicians. Gee, I wonder why they don't like Congress, because it's not their Congress. Wolf-pack.com, get them to represent us. Right now they represent the donors. You could be part of the solution. Wolf-pack.com, join us. Let's go get them. By the way, terrific news out of a second state coming up soon. Hold, hold. God, when you see that, you're going to be so excited. I know I'm excited. <laughs> Tell you, man, it doesn't matter. Conservative, Democrat, liberal, Republican, when it comes to the actual voters, they're all on our side. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. President Obama seemed horrified at the Citizens United decision, disgusted by it, repelled by it, and then he's done nothing to, to, to counter them. The Democrats are embracing Citizens United. Yeah, I mean, so far, it's like, I think in the very beginning, they said it was very distasteful, but they've joined, you know, they say, okay, after 2010, when they really didn't take advantage of Citizens United, and, and the conservatives very much did, they said, fine, we're going to play this game now. So I think, aside from a few people that are saying, look, the money in politics is completely out of control. You've got Harry Reid, all these people that used to criticize Citizens United, that have pretty much said, if you can't beat them at this, let's just join them. Yeah, and I would say the Democrats, and especially President Obama and the folks in his, uh, his universe, uh, got a taste of the forbidden fruit in 2012, and they really liked it. And I'm talking about a super PAC that specifically backed Obama. It's called Priorities USA Action. You know, in, in a year when the story about super PACs was how little effect they seem to have, Priorities USA actually had a noticeable effect. It, it, you know, it, it picked a single message attacked Mitt Romney as essentially a cold-hearted, soulless, mm -hmm. you know, venture capital plutocrat. And it ran those ads, you know, using folks who had been laid off because Bain Capital, Mitt Romney's former company, um, had come in and, and taken over and then fired everybody. And they used these ads really effectively, especially appealing to working-class white people in Ohio, in North Carolina, in Florida. And, you know, I, I covered this at the time, and you could really see... Priorities USA making an impact for the president, and I think Demo Democrats came out of that. In fact, I know that they came. You know, the week after right. the election, Jeffrey Katzenberg, the Hollywood movie mogul, who was really the sort of father of Priorities USA Action Super PAC, said, "Wow, that really worked. We should keep this thing around." 
Well, isn't that the one that's now getting ready to sail with Hillary Clinton? It yeah. absolutely is. For 2016? Yep, yep. Well, given the fact that their opponents have so much yeah. money, how should Obama and the Democrats play the game? Well, they could start by at least trying to implement some kind of reform. I mean, it's not necessarily playing the same game as the other side, but it is at least acknowledging that this game is being played. I mean, I talk to Democrats who are in the business of winning elections, not in the business of passing reform, and they intend to use every tool at their disposal. And if you and I had that kind of money, wouldn't we be tempted to do it? I mean, if it has that kind of impact and that kind of effect, wouldn't we be tempted to do that? Sure. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, but people without money don't have that same that same opportunity. And I think, I don't know, a big issue that we try to cover is disclosure. We are, this, this is the era of the empowered uh, one percenter. And, and they, <laughs> they, they, they absolutely are tempted. They want, they're, they're taking action and they are becoming the new, you know, headline players in, in, in this political system. Do you differentiate in any way between the Koch brothers, the Koch empire, and the billionaire like Tom Steyer who uh, wants to educate the public on uh, climate change and defeat climate deniers and Bloomberg who wants to take on the gun culture? I, I think you have to. I mean, I think you have to, in, in one sense, judge them on the merits of the issue that they are putting their money behind. On the other side, you seem to have a lot of conservatives who, they're very passionate about this issue or that, but those issues also happen to align with the bottom line of their companies. However, the spending, the raising and spending of that money on both sides has an, has a, has a, has a, an effect on our democracy. It's a scary time to be writing about politics, um, to just be a participant in politics today, because you do see unelected individuals having as great a power as they've ever had, at least since the post-Watergate reforms, maybe ever. Oh, but we don't really know that. I would, I would disagree with you on that. I think that billionaires have always tried to influence politics. You can go back to the Copper King scandal of In Montana. Montana right? Yeah, the reason yep. they had the tightest sort of rules on campaign contributions of any state. Um, the reason that they were the state challenge to Citizens United and applying that to states. Mm. Um, you know, you, you have always had the sense that I think people with a lot of money want politicians to do what they want them to do. And this is just the latest sort of form of that. Uh, I guess I would say that you have to ask Americans if this is the system they want. I think you're seeing the system, you're seeing the center of gravity in the political system move away from the actual political parties. Right. And go toward the Tom Steyers, and the Charles and David Kochs, the Mayor Bloombergs. And these people have the means, they have the wealth, and now they have you know, the means, the vehicles in this political system to... Essentially, bankroll a candidate. They could, sure. It could be the the you know this donor club has their candidate, and this individual has his or her candidate. Um, you, maybe you could go back to the, the the Gilded Age, the original Gilded Age, and see a similar kind of uh, situation. But go back to the Italian city states. Right. <laughs> Every billionaire is own I mean, sovereign. It's, it's, it is typical. People want influence. It's a question of whether we're we're going to allow it to happen, especially if we're going to allow it to happen and nobody even knows who the influencers are. You know, this idea of the anonymous money and the anonymous hundreds of millions of dollars going into our political system. If we keep talking about money in politics, if we keep showing people how 
how much money is having so much impact, they just despair. They just tune out. I get, I definitely hear fatigue, big number fatigue. How many times can you tell me that this super PAC spent $100 million or the Coke network spent $383 million on elections? I do get number fatigue, but I, the, you know, the outrage, at least from my own reporting, is not going away. In fact, people, I mean, I'm still meeting people who are just figuring out who Charles and David Koch are and, and still getting a sense of who the big players are in this climate right now, in, in this political system. And, and the outrage isn't going anywhere. And, and it also, I think it's important to temper, you know, the bad news, if you will, with the good news when it comes along. I mean, for instance, the New York City political system has this matching um, public financing program helped Mayor de Blasio. New York State is trying to implement a similar system. You have a lot of states yeah. trying to take on yeah. dark money groups and trying to say you can't just funnel anonymous money into, mm -hmm. into the state elections. This very week, uh, Mayor, the uh, dictionary Merriam-Webster formally, uh, legitimately brought the noun super PAC into its online unabridged dictionary. Have we made our peace with them culturally and politically? I mean, the super PACs are here to stay. They just are. I mean, I think that, like, that's Citizens United pretty much set that up. There are super PACs. We have to know how we're going to deal with them. And we also have to say, are we going to allow anonymous money coming into those super PACs? Are we going, I think dark money is one area where you can get change in regulation. That if you're going to have all this money going into politics and into elections, at least, at the very least, you can have disclosure. One thing I would say from being on this beat and sort of studying the history of it, you often see a, a sort of swing between uh, uh, scandal and response. Right. You see the system sort of grow, 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 and get stuffed with money for so long until it finally pops. Being in the middle of this every day, I at least have the feeling that if we're not at one of those moments, man, are we sure getting there? One of those, you know, one of those tipping points, if you will, just the amount of money, the amount of money coming in, how anonymous it is, showing no sign of slowing down. It's just rising and rising. Um, you know, it's you can't help but feel like this can't go on forever. Seventy-five years ago, here in New York City at Madison Square Garden, Franklin Roosevelt, President Roosevelt, said, "Quote: We know now that government by organized money." is just as dangerous as government by organized mob. Have you seen this money corrupting our politics? I think it absolutely is in terms of the effect that it has on our elected officials and whose interests they're responding to on a daily basis and how they're spending their time raising money and worrying about money being raised against them instead of thinking about solutions to the, 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 the many problems in this country, and I, 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 don't, I think that there is a there is a legal debate about whether what I've just described is corruption, as the Supreme Court right. would define it. But I, I, but I think any average person on the street would say, yeah, my 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 elected officials, my Congress is bought and sold, and they only care about what the people who fund their campaigns and their super PACs and their nonprofits think. And not what I think. Because it gets really strange when you can compare the amount of money you can donate to a candidate and the limits on that. And you can compare the sort of money that you can donate to a super PAC or a dark money group. On one side, you've got very strict, small limits. And on the other, it's whatever you want to get, whatever you can afford. We just know, we don't know, no.
you've reached the activism portion of today's show. Now that you're informed and angry, here's what you can do about it. Today's activism, the May Day Pack. Now, if you listen to Best of the Left, whether that's regularly or you've newly stumbled upon the show, I probably don't have to convince you much farther of the corrupting power that money has on our democracy. Our founders weren't saints and they weren't poor men, but they certainly couldn't have conceived of the type of wealth and the degree of top-heavy concentration our generation is experiencing. There are a lot of innovative, creative, academic, and grassroots ideas on how to combat this distortion of power. Meeting the big money where it hurts most, with money, is the common sense if ambitious idea of lawyer, author, and progressive activist Lawrence Lessig. Mayday PAC is a crowdfunded, real-for-real, super PAC banking on numerous small donations and a matching contribution system. Lessig describes it this way, quote, Think of it as a super PAC to end all super PACs, built first from small donor contributions, which, if we're successful, will be matched by larger contributions. They've met their first goal of $1 million and the resulting matching donation. The next goal is running short on time, but is still doable even if everyone who cares about money in politics only gives what they would spend on a cup of coffee tomorrow to Mayday Pack instead. If they hit the $5 million mark, the matching funds will give them enough money to compete in five races this fall and launch a bigger effort in 2016. Which candidates are they supporting? According to Lessig, it's all about the money. Quote, the ultimate aim is to spend enough to win a majority in Congress committed to fundamental reform by 2016. We've spent the last year gaming out how much it would cost. I think it is feasible and possible if we can take these first steps successfully now. Unquote. Join the more than 17,000 people backing the Super PAC to end all Super PACs. Visit Mayday.us before July 4th and celebrate with the most patriotic act I can think of fighting money and politics to put our government back in the hands of its citizens. Come on out from in front of the television. Bust out of your self-imposed media prison. There's a whole big world out there, y'all. And some serious stuff is going down. Civil war intolerance, AIDS obliteration. The usual madness, but not enough frustration about what's troubling Earth's nations. The spotlight will not be your savior in these dark days, and it will not be your saving grace. Why not replace your dreams of gracing life's stage with action? On Friday, Vermont became the first state to call for a convention to amend the U.S. Constitution to reverse the Citizens United decision, which allowed for this huge flood of money into politics. And the U.S. Constitution can be amended only through an act of Congress ratified by the states or by a convention of the states acting on their own. It would take 34 states to trigger a convention to propose amendments to the Constitution and 38 states to, uh, to approve an amendment. Is there another way to reverse Citizens United that wouldn't require, I mean, this is great, right, that Vermont is doing this. But there is still this huge hill to climb. I, I, to call it a hill is a huge understatement. There is a towering mountain to climb. Well, there are legal challenges, but that's not really a likely solution. The Supreme Court has already set precedent in a number of these cases that say, hey, free speech, money, it's exactly the same thing. So that's not really looking too good. Vermont is pushing their own single-payer health care proposal, they are now uh, pushing for a constitutional convention. We don't know what will happen with these issues ultimately, but Vermont, for being such a tiny state with a small population, 
is really making pretty significant waves here. Vermont is doing some great stuff. I, I think uh, they're kind of on the cutting edge, unfortunately. How long is it until the, the single-payer health care goes into effect? I don't remember exactly, uh, and we should actually update that story. I know what you're saying, though, Lewis, which is that proposals alone don't necessarily lead to action. And when we look at we need 34 or 38 states to do what Vermont has done, right. I mean, it's completely disheartening. Can this Can this really happen, you know? Unfortunately, I think the problem here might be with the Constitution uh, itself as a whole. Uh, I think maybe we should be looking at that. But uh, Lewis, hold yeah, on a second. That that's incredibly disrespectful to those who, uh, for whom the the Constitution is their religion, and they pray at the altar of the Constitution. Everybody knows that a document written hundreds of years ago is completely relevant in modern society even though society has changed in ways that could never have been foreseen hundreds of years ago it, it is an insult to suggest that anything about the constitution may need revision let's not forget the constitution let's not forget the men who suffered bled and died the courage come from glory praise his holy name jesus is the one that brought you through was the one that stood beside them? Huh? Who was the one that gave encouraged to to fight for the thing that was meant for me and you? Jesus is the one that brought you through. Let's not forget the Constitution. Hold to the reason why we all stand free. Our forefathers fought for the right so that men. So there are a lot of different efforts in the country to get money out of politics, to do campaign finance reform, to fix our system. And a lot of them believe that we should focus in on awareness. Now, there was a recent poll that showed that 96% of Americans believe that money has a corrupting influence on politics. Awareness? Check. Country's very aware. Now, others think, hey, you know, we should really try to influence Congress into calling for an amendment because an amendment is necessary the supreme court is blocking us every time you pass a law the supreme court strikes it down and says no no no. Uh, you're impinging on the rights of billionaires and corporations who are human beings and how can spend unlimited money in politics so the only way to go above the supreme court is an amendment okay so a lot of people are politely suggesting that congress does that in fact i remember when the first state uh... passed a resolution asking congress to pass this uh, amendment and what if you don't know the process what happens is if two-thirds of congress calls for an amendment then three-quarters of the states would have to ratify so then five states asked for one and there was still no hearings that's interesting there was then ten states politely asked congress hey can you please get us that amendment still no hearings now we're up to sixteen states saying pretty please can you please get us a, that amendment to get money out of politics no hearings and then one state, brave little state of Vermont, said, hey, you know what? We're a little tired of waiting. We're going to go ahead and demand that we get that amendment. So how do you demand it? You say, Congress, thank you very much, but I don't need you. Okay? There's a second way to do this in the Constitution. If two-thirds of the states call for a convention on that specific amendment, well, then you don't need Congress at all. You could bypass Congress. And that is not pretty please. That's not can you p please take this action later or would you like to be aware of this? That is, no, no, no. 
I get 34 states to call for a convention, and there's a convention. Then we propose the amendment, and then we ratify it. It is actual, specific steps that force that action. So guess what happened? After the first state that passed uh, this resolution calling for a convention, well, you look at that. Today, congressional hearings. Funny how that works. Now, it's in the Senate, and it's in the Judiciary Committee. You want to know who's the head of the Judiciary Committee? Senator Patrick Leahy from Vermont. When asked about these hearings, here's what Senator Leahy said. I recognize that amending the Constitution will not be easy. Vermonters have been leading the nation on this issue, and many in our country took note that our legislature was the first to call for a constitutional convention for the purpose of drafting a remedy. Booyah! That's a little thing called Wolfpack. I told you the story earlier on the show. They literally said it was impossible to pass that resolution in Vermont when our Wolfpack crew went up there. And we worked really hard with some great Americans that I laid out in a different video, which you should check out, that worked hard, both Republicans and Democrats in Vermont. They got together and they said, enough is enough. This system is broken and we need to fix it. And let me tell you about uh, Ginny Lyons, who was actually the first uh, Vermont state senator to get involved in this. And she was the first state senator across the country to get involved. And she said, if we saw something like that coming from Congress, meaning that if Congress was going to do itself, I would be thrilled. But we haven't seen that happen. So that's why she said, step aside, Butch. We got this. And now she says, maybe that's what we needed to do so that Congress wakes up. And guess what? They woke up. And all of a sudden, we've got hearings. I love it. See, they always tell you you can't do it because they want you to stay home. They don't want you to do anything. But it turns out it's amazing what you could do if you work together. Wolf-pack.com. I've got more news on that in a second that you're going to love. Meanwhile, Harry Reid comes to the hearings. One of the things he said was, The decisions by the Supreme Court have left the American people with a status quo in which one side's billionaires are pitted against the other side's billionaires. And that is incredibly true. And lo and behold, you have hearings and you find out new information. Now listen to what Harry Reid says about Mitch McConnell and what Mitch McConnell, the, now this is the not only the opposition, the Republican leadership in the Senate, but the guy who filed suit in McCutcheon, let alone the other cases, to say, no, we should have unlimited money in politics. Okay, But listen to what McConnell said 30 years ago. Harry Reid explains. The cynics may scoff at the idea of us working together on an issue as critical as good government. But it wasn't all that long ago the issue of campaign finance reform enjoyed support from both Democrats and Republicans. Campaign finance reform has been proposed a number of times before, even by my friend, the Republican leader, Senator McConnell. Senator McConnell's own constitutional amendment, his own, he sponsored it, empowered Congress to enact laws regulating the amount of independent expenditures by any person which, quote, from his legislation, can be made to expressly advocate, advocate the election or defeat of a clearly identified candidate for federal office. Close quote. In advocating for this reform, Senator McConnell said, and I quote, We Republicans have put together a responsible and constitutional campaign reform agenda. It would restrict the power of special interest PACs, stop the flow of all soft money, keep wealthy individuals from buying public office. Close quote. There's a lot more. 
that he said. But that gives you the general idea that at one time, Senator McConnell agreed without question with me and the, most of the people behind me. Although he opposed billionaires using their own money to run for office, Senator McConnell now supports a billionaire's ability to fund today's campaigns and independent expenditures. In fact, he even declares today, quote, in our society, spending is speech, close quote. The undue influence that my friend decried three decades ago has not magically transformed into free speech. Oh, I love how they were showing Mitch McConnell's face throughout that. And you know what was ringing through my head. Fix your face. Fix your face. Fix your face. There's Harry Reid busting him up. He said, no, no, wait, 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 wait. Before you got corrupted by this system and now you want unlimited money, even you realized that it corrupted us. Now that he's already corrupted, Mitch McConnell loves the money and he wants it in unlimited form. There's no bigger crony capitalist in America. So how do we make these guys do it or bypass them? This is how you do it. You know the 17th Amendment? What that was was direct election of U.S. senators. Before that, a lot of people might not remember this, we didn't do direct election of senators. The state houses would decide who would be your senator from your each state. Now why would senators change that? They got elected under the old system. They don't want the new system. They were one state away from a convention. And then all of a sudden, all the senators were like, oh, yeah, we meant direct election. Of course, yeah, 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 yeah. And then, of course, all of a sudden, two-thirds of uh, Congress winds up passing that law, uh, that amendment, and then it goes and gets ratified. That's how it works. You don't ask them politely. You make them do it. That's why we call it Wolf Pack, okay, because we're not asking politely. Join us, wolf-pack.com. By the way, for those of you who have joined us and who signed the petition, we took those petitions and delivered it to them and said, here they are. And they talked about it during the hearings. It wasn't just us. All the different groups that are wanting to get money out of politics, two million people signed those petitions, and they went full whap and put them right on the desk. Said, what are you going to do now? And now, it's not just Vermont. One of the great uh, state senators working on this in Maryland is Jamie Raskin. He went in and he testified. Look at what he said. SJ Res 19 will enable us to protect democratic politics and free market economics. In politics, we need to revive democratic self-government where all voices can be heard and not drowned out by billionaires who turn up the volume on their soundtracks to ear-splitting levels and CEOs who write checks with other people's money, as Justice Brandeis called it. In economics, we need to strengthen businesses that practice free market competition and pull the plug on rent-seeking corporations that spend freely on campaigns now to obtain tax breaks, sweetheart deals, and public subsidies later. Adam Smith, who favored honest competition and feared industry capture of government, would tell us that in campaign finance, laissez isn't fair. Look, if you're a conservative or libertarian, you got to love what he just said. You want real free markets. What these corporations do is they go and buy the politicians to kill the free markets. They get an unfair advantage. It doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum they're on. That's crony capitalism. That's what they do with the money they spend on the politicians. You don't want that. Now, I'm going to give you more about real Americans that work through Wolfpack and which states we're coming to next. But I want to give you one more from Jamie Raskin here. If we do nothing now, pretty soon, the people will no longer govern the corporations. The corporations will govern the people. 
At times like this, when the court has undermined democracy, we've amended the Constitution. We did it with the disenfranchisement of women, and we did it when the court upheld poll taxes. Most of the amendments added since the Bill of Rights have strengthened the progress of democratic self-government and expanded the political rights of the people, even as the defenders of inequality and elite privilege protested that their rights were being violated. So don't be intimidated. The people are with you. See, this is what he's saying. When he says the people are with you, by the way, he's not talking about corporations. Can you believe they say corporations are human beings? Go to any room in the country, unless it's got Mitt Romney or Mitch McConnell or the Supreme Court, and ask them, hey, do you think corporations are human beings? Nobody will raise their hands. These guys have built this system on the idea that corporations are people with constitutional rights. Unfortunately, they already rule us all, as Jamie Raskin was alluding to now. But we're going to get them back. Let me tell you about people who are doing that across the country. New update for all the Wolfpack successes. In Oregon, they're going to introduce a resolution. State leader Colby Clipson has been amazing there. In New Jersey, they've already introduced a resolution. Sorry, we're coming. State leader Walker Green there. Rhode Island, live resolution, coming. State Senators Susan Sosnowski, Donna Nesselbush, and Elizabeth Crowley, and Catherine Rumsey are sponsoring the call. So both in Rhode Island and New Jersey, the resolutions are already on the table. We're coming. That's not all. In the South, Louisiana, introduced the resolution. State Leader Tom Anderson there for Wolfpack has done an amazing job. Wolf-Pack.com. But one of my favorites is in the Midwest, uh, Iowa, State Leader Carol uh, Berry. They call her the lone wolf of Iowa. She alone got 20 to 30 co-sponsors of the resolution in Iowa. 20 to 30 state legislators listened to Carol, the lone wolf of Iowa, and they said, yeah, we're in. You're right. You know why? Because as State Senator Raskin just said there, because the people are with, are, are with us. And so the minute you get the resolutions, all of a sudden, it's not easy, nothing's easy, but it gets easier because how do you vote against 96% of the American people? You gotta go through a lot of excuses and machinations to pretend that somehow it's pro-American to let corporations and the rich buy our politics, buy our government. No, 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 we're for free and fair elections. That's what a great majority of Americans agree with. If you agree with us, join us at wolf-pack.com. These hearings will not be the end. We're at the beginning, and we're coming. This is uh, Peter from Chicago again. I'm responding to your response to my voicemail about the not all men, um, <clears throat> the M&M's analogy, uh, analogy being made in response to hashtag not all men. Again, the hashtag not all men thing was stupid. It was taking a defensive posture when we should be listening to women. But you said that I misinterpreted the metaphor. The metaphor being, hey, not all men are monsters. Imagine a bowl of M&M's, only 10% are poison. Go ahead, eat a handful. And you said I misinterpreted that as saying that, like, uh, uh, that means don't engage with men because some of them uh, will be monsters. And you said that this was that women have no choice uh, on how they deal with men. And you said that I didn't get it. I actually got it. 
I'm the one who got the metaphor exactly right. Get on Google, look around. That's exactly what it means. It means, hey, not all men are monsters. Well, it doesn't matter because some of you are, and so I shouldn't engage. So if you'd like to uh, respond to how the metaphor actually, what it actually means, and if you want to explain to me how that isn't a sexist statement or that uh, couldn't e also be applied to uh, uh, race or, or any other uh, minority group, I would be happy to hear it. But this time, you need to get the metaphor right because I interpreted it correctly the first time. Thanks. When I played the original voicemail from Sonia in Minnesota, who was the first person I had ever heard use the uh, bowl of partially poisoned M&Ms analogy, uh, I, I learned later that it had gone viral during the Yes All Women Twitter hashtag and was promoted on Upworthy and things like that. So uh, when I first played that on the show, Katie, who is the biggest hardcore feminist I personally know, uh, who, who works on the show, she does the social media and activism stuff, she referred to that analogy as, quote, perfect. And although I hate disagreeing with Katie, especially as publicly as this, I have to say it has become clear that it is not a perfect analogy because evidently it is incredibly easy to misunderstand and misconstrue. So Peter's calling back in, insisting, no, he's the one who got it right. And as part of his defense is saying that all you have to do is Google around and you will find that other people are also interpreting it the same way he is. And he is absolutely right about that. If you Google bowl of M&Ms, poisoned men, etc., you will get a lot of people who have interpreted this analogy in exactly the same way Peter has, and they are all very upset about it. So I know what you're thinking. Okay, so I think one thing, Peter and a bunch of other people think something else, so how do we know what's actually right? Well, we can take a look at this in a couple of different ways. One is just, you know, not in the universal sense, but from Sonia herself. How did she personally intend for that uh, analogy to be used? Well, it so happens that she wrote into the show after hearing me talk about her analogy. And so this is what her email said. Jay, when you defended my analogy on the M&Ms, which is about how women can't win, we're either paranoid or stupid, I smiled so wide when you talked about being kept in an attic with yellow wallpaper. Nice literary reference, Jay. I wonder how many people caught that. Smiley face, sincerely, Sonia in Minnesota. So at the very least, bare bones minimum, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that at least I interpreted the analogy in the way it was intended by the person who was speaking when I first heard it. So, you know, maybe Sonia is wrong. Maybe she interpreted it incorrectly, and then she said it on the show, and I interpreted it incorrectly, and Katie interpreted it incorrectly, and Peter and other people uh, are the ones who are right, and we were all misled somehow. Maybe so. So let's examine this Occam's razor style. You know, the, the simplest solution is most likely the correct one. So we have, we have two options here. One is that someone somewhere, some presumably an online feminist of, of some sort, came up with an analogy to suggest that the proper course of action was to avoid all men, not because they're all dangerous, but because enough of them are that it's best to avoid them entirely. And in doing so, intentionally or maybe accidentally created a, a, an analogy that is also not just hateful towards men, but also racist and, you know, could be used in, uh, you know, a variety of incredibly damaging ways against any group, basically. So maybe someone created this analogy and then also 
a whole slew of feminists online, activist feminists who are like at the forefront of oppression politics, working tirelessly to exterminate oppression wherever it exists. Apparently, enough of them also misinterpreted it to make this analogy go viral. Okay, so that happened, which begs the question, has anyone heard of a mainstream feminist movement encouraging women to completely abstain from men, dating, relationships, sex, love, saying no, you know, the proper thing to do is to avoid all men because some small percentage of them are dangerous? Has anyone heard reference to that? Has that been brought up in any context outside of this one analogy? Like, I've just, if so, I've completely missed it, has not crossed my radar whatsoever. Now, the other hypothesis we have to work with is maybe I'm interpreting this analogy properly and what it's trying to do and what all those feminists co-signed on was a defense of that which we know to be very prevalent and well-documented which is that women are attacked no matter what they do. They are attacked for being paranoid and they are attacked for being stupid, regardless of what they do, exactly as I described when I analyzed that analogy. So I guess we just have to choose. Like, we we all just have to decide for ourselves which one of those is right. One maybe seems more likely to you than the other, but there's no way to know. We just all have to interpret it personally. And, and I guess we just have to unfortunately say that this isn't a perfect analogy and we need a new one that's easier to uh, understand and harder to misconstrue because none of us apparently knows what the fuck we're talking about. However, the question I have for Peter and anyone in his camp is, were you then also equally offended by the Louis C.K. joke that was played during the Rape Culture episode? And if not... Why not? Louis C.K. listens to people, and his routine changed as a result. He did a routine about how scary it is for women to date men. We're the number one threat to women. If you're a guy, try to imagine that you uh, you could only date a half bear, half lion. And you're like, oh, I hope this one's nice. Hey, Jay, this is Steve from Stockton, California, and I kind of got my wits together after hearing Wade's comments. And um, I don't know, I'll just address his two points, keep it simple. But his first point, he talked about who should get reparations, and then if we give it to black people, then everybody's going to come looking for something. Well, yeah, that's a problem, because you look at America's history, and they've done so much wrong to so many different groups of people, that yes, it probably would open up a floodgate for the people that we've wronged. But... Maybe that floodgate needs to be open. Maybe America needs to start being honest with itself about who it is. And the difference also being you're talking about people that were enslaved versus people who were exploited. And there's a big difference between that. We still economically exploit people today, but no one is enslaved because slavery is wrong. And maybe in the future we'll decide that exploiting workers is wrong. I really hope so. But that's just really a weak argument. And your second argument is even weaker. You say... Don't give reparations because people don't like black people. Well, that's the argument for reparations. If you can say the whole country would be in uproar if black people were compensated for what they've been through in this country, then that is a damn good argument for why they should get some kind of consideration. I don't know. It's it's just a piece. I know that the fact that I know that people think like Wade and he's not isolated just really bothers me. It really bothers me that I have to put up with that in my daily life 
people like him are in high positions and they can really stop people from getting ahead. And it, it's, it's problematic. It really just makes me sad, if nothing else. Racism, it doesn't even make me angry anymore. It makes me sad. All right, well, thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, listening to the voicemail, and I appreciate the show. And you guys have a good night. Hey, Jay, it's Wade again. Hey, uh, for anybody that, that says that uh, we, we traded five terrorists for Bo Bergdahl, who was a traitor and a deserter, maybe he is a traitor and a deserter, but we didn't trade five terrorists. The Taliban aren't terrorists. They are fighting because we're in their country. Okay, They, they don't want to come over here and blow up America. They don't want to blow up airliners. They're just they're POWs. They're enemy combatants. That's all they are. And that's what you do in war. You trade enemy combatants. Just want to throw that out there right quick. But talking about Iraq, been glued to the news about Iraq lately. Obviously, I have a, a very significant interest in Iraq. And I'm pretty pissed off right now because it makes me feel like everything we did was truly in vain. You know, I've walked the streets of Mosul. I've handed out candy to kids in Mosul. I've had men come up and pat me on the arm and say, hey man, thanks, you know, the Americans, thanks. But that was in 2005, and I just thought, I mean, just thought about this last night, and it really made me sad. Some of those kids are now adults, and they were Shias. So now, there's a good chance that they're laying in some ditch with a bullet in their head. And that fucking pisses me off. But I don't know what the hell we're going to do about it. Even though so many guys died over there and so much American blood was spilled, it was supposed to be for this democratic fucking ideology. Even that, I'm still saying I don't want to go back because I don't trust the U.S. government to do it right. I don't think they can do it right. I don't think they know how to do it right. I don't think they want to do it right. All they want to do is make defense contractors rich. I mean, what the fuck were we thinking, man? <laughs> You don't involve yourselves in Sunni and Shia problems. This shit goes back further than we can imagine. And we act like that we're going to be, we have a superior way of doing things. We're going to teach them to be right. They don't give a fuck about that. We don't understand that we shouldn't fuck with them. Let them be who they are. We're not going to fix the problem. No matter what they say, I promise you we won't fix the problem. And we, we go back over there because people want to, because they'll make money off of it. It's exactly what they want, man. And this whole thing was a waste. This whole thing was just an epic. It, it, this has got to be the most epic fuck-up in the history of mankind. The invasion of Iraq. It, 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 there's no way you can, you can form a positive out of this. Does anybody realize that the same people we were supporting with weapons in Syria are now using the same weapons against the Shias in Iraq and we're all upset about it now? What the fuck is going on out there? That man, my heart's sad. It's sad because of the, the Iraqi men, those Iraqi kids were just kids. Just kids just like any other kid. They don't deserve that. And those people I met, they were nice. Yeah, anybody would have got along with them. They're not all walking around in turbans blowing everybody up over there like some people believe. They're just people, man. Just like everybody else. And they don't deserve what's going on over there. And it's all our fault. It's all America's fault. And you want to talk about reparations? Yeah, that's where they should go. And I'm sorry to all the Iraqis. I, I'm sorry. I'm ashamed to be an American right now. 
and I mean that, and that hurts me to say it, and I'm on the verge of tears right now, but motherfucker, to the Bush administration, fuck all you assholes. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible. Thanks to Katie Globusik for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So just to finish up, a couple of uh, sort of programming notes. The first is... That starting with the next episode and lasting for only one month, so do not panic, uh, the next episode is going to come out in four days instead of the normal three days. Let's call it summer hours. So for the next month, I'm going to be operating on summer hours. Each episode will come out on every fourth day. And the reason for this is multi, uh, multiple reasons. Uh, the first is uh, I have this app project. You know, you guys have been donating to uh, to help fund the creation of an app. I want to focus on that a little bit. Also, Netroots Nation is coming up. That That's uh, when the summer hours will end, when Netroots Nation is over, things go back to normal. And in the meantime, there's just been the, the worst timing possible uh, is that there's a family vacation happening. So I'm going to take part in that. And so I'm just going to take it a little bit easy on the show so I can focus on these other things. You know, Netroots is sort of a panic time. So that's the culmination of this uh, this next insanely busy month for me. And, uh, you know, and then the show will be back to normal. So, so no need to worry. Secondly, a quick update on the fundraiser. Things are going very well. We're trying to raise a total of $15,000. And I've been telling you guys recently how close we're getting based on the number of people it would take donating an average of a measly $100, which goes to fund the creation of what I hope is a smartphone app to you know really sort of shake up and support the entire progressive media community. Uh, details are at the fundraising page, of course. And so I've been telling you guys how close we're getting to that goal based on the number of people it would take donating $100. And the last update I gave was maybe like 75, something like that. It is now down to 38. We are so close within striking distance. If you've been waiting for that moment when you're like, oh, I I think he might actually get it. Like maybe I will chime in on this. Your moment has come. So uh, head over to the fundraising page at bestofleft.com. Help us get over the goal. We are so close. I can taste it. And uh, and so, of course, thanks to everyone who's been donating and, and even considered donating. I have lots of people that I need to thank by name on the show. I haven't had time to even process those donations yet, so I'll, I'll get to that on the next episode. In the meantime, that is going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show, of course, through this fundraiser. Uh, of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it, leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher, and by donating your accounts at donateyouraccount.com slash left. Stay tuned in to the show by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter and for details on the show itself including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog so coming to you from inside the beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington DC my name is Jay and this has been the best of the left podcast coming to you every third day thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com and it's a cry and shame How we get so trained